Hey everybody, welcome into the I Want to Know podcast. I am your host, Greg Jones, and I'll be leading you on this inquisitive departure into audio wisdom. Today I am welcoming back to the show Felice Cohen. You may remember the last time we talked, we were talking about her book, 90 Lessons for Living Large in 90 Square Feet or More. And today she's here to talk about her first book that she wrote called What Papa Told Me. What Papa Told Me is about her Jewish grandfather that was raised in Poland, survived the Holocaust, and came to America after being liberated. It's an amazing read, and I hope you guys all go pick it up. First, I just want to take a quick second to thank all you guys for listening, for writing in, for tweeting, all that good stuff, for telling a friend. Don't forget to tell a friend about the show, and find a podcast app that I want to know isn't on. I have yet to come across one. Please let me know if you do. But enough about that. All right, everybody, joining me on Skype right now, Felice Cohn. We talked to her a few episodes ago about her other book, 90 Lessons for Living Large in 90 Square Feet or More. She's come back to talk about her other book, What Papa Told Me, which is about her Jewish grandfather that was raised in Poland and survived the Holocaust. Felice, thank you so much for coming back. Glad to be here. Yeah, well, thank you. Um, I, you know, you emailed me about your other book, 90 Lessons. And, you know, I, I started to read that and watch the video and said, well, this is really interesting. And then I read down the email some more and you were, you know, you mentioned that you'd written this book. And this really uh, caught my interest for multiple reasons. One, I don't think a lot of people know about the Holocaust other than what's in history books. And I think that that personal connection of knowing someone's story is extremely valuable. Um, and quite honestly, also, I'm really jealous that you got to spend this sort of time with your grandfather I wish I had that chance to kind of get to know my grandfather, maybe write down some of his stories or, or make, you know, audio recordings, podcasts of them. Um, so Holocaust story aside, you know, how was that experience of just sitting down with your grandfather and talking about it? Uh, you know, it was priceless. Um, you know, my grandfather just died in December. Oh, I'm sorry. So, yeah. So, um, it was, it was really amazing. You know, we were always so close. I was his oldest grandchild, um, and so, you know, even growing up, I grew up on Cape Cod and I didn't, I knew my grandparents were in this thing called the Holocaust. Sure. I just thought it was this bad place. And I didn't realize until later um, in college when I found out my grandmother had committed suicide and um, I was named after her. I'd always been told she died of cancer. So that was the wow. moment I called my grandfather and, and said, you know, why did she commit suicide? And in order for him to tell me, he had to talk to me about the Holocaust, and that was really the beginning of our of our discussion. So, is this something that you really didn't know about until that point? Uh, absolutely, I didn't know any of the details. Um, when I was in middle school, we read Night, and my mom came into my class and spoke about being a child of survivors. But I walked out; I was, I hadn't known anything, and I, and I was really scared by what I was hearing. And I think my mom, I have two younger sisters, really tried to protect us from this horrible thing because for a lot of survivors, they didn't they didn't talk much about the Holocaust and they didn't want to scare their children. Um, but I think as the third generation, we were more open. I think we had that buffer, that American experience between our parents and our grandparents that, you know, I'm, I'm in groups with other grandchildren and we all talk with our grandparents. Mm. Um and I think it's now it became kind of easier to talk with my grandfather and getting it out in the open made it easier to kind of talk about. Mm -hmm. and were you alive when your grandmother committed suicide? No, I was born three years later. Oh, okay. And yeah. was, I mean, was this from, you know, psychological trauma from the Holocaust or? Yeah. So she was the youngest of 11 children and they were living in Ludge, 
Poland and it became the Ludge Ghetto. And almost right away, her entire family was killed. And one day she was in um, a room with one of her oldest sisters and the sister's three-year-old twin boys. And two Nazis came in and they took my grandmother's sister away. And as my grandmother was being grandmother's sister was being dragged out. She was screaming to my grandmother, take care of my sons, promise nothing should happen to them. So of course the Nazis came back shortly after and took the boys and my grandmother felt so much guilt. And, um, and then shortly after my grandmother was taken and she was taken to Auschwitz and it was in Auschwitz. She realized what had happened to her nephews because children there were just ripped apart in tug of wars and thrown into pits of fire. And that guilt she felt just grew and it stayed with her while she she managed to live through Auschwitz and um, was liberated in Bergen-Belsen and then even 20 years later living in Brooklyn, New York with three children and she and my grandfather owned a grocery business and uh, the memories, just the guilt just was too much to take and she she took her own life. That's horrendous. I mean, to make it all the way through to, to eventually yeah. take your own life, that's, that's horrible. Um, yeah. How old was your grandfather when this all was going down? Um, so he was in his early forties, mid forties. No, I'm sorry. During the Holocaust. Oh, how old was your oh grandfather? my grandfather was um, 17 when the Holocaust began. So he was, um, at the right age that he was young enough and strong enough and knew how to work hard, which helped him survive. Yeah. He was kind of at that prime age of them putting, putting people to work. Right. Yeah, my grandfather would talk, you know, when asked by why he survived, he would say, you know, I worked hard and I was lucky. But the why he survived is almost more important because he said he believed that one day he would have a wife and children and more family to replace all those who were killed. Yeah, you know, even on the the back cover of, of the book, it, it's enough to draw you in. I I was uh, I let my girlfriend read the um the the preview that Amazon has on the book mm-hmm. and even just, I think it was nine pages, the first nine pages, she started to tear up already. And you know, that was before any of the, the, the real you know story kicked in. That was just a little pre-story. So, I mean, that's how good this book is. Um, and the, on the back cover, you, you mentioned that only his sister survived besides himself. Um, what happened to his sister? Did she make it to America also or? Yeah, so she was actually living in the Bronx. Um, She died uh, about four or five years ago. But um, so my grandfather was reunited with her in Bergen-Belsen at the end. And, you know, it was like a month or two before liberation. He was on a death march and he was about to die. I mean, he was very sick, typhus and everything. And he got to the camp and he was scared. And but all of a sudden he recognized a girl from his hometown and he just went running over to her. I mean, he, he weighed 78 pounds and he said who he was and she didn't recognize him as, at first because nobody looked the same. They were all emaciated, no hair. Sure. And she said, you have two sisters here. And uh, he was so excited and, and he found one of the sisters who worked in the kitchen and she helped revive him a little. Um, and that was Sesha. And the other sister died the day before the camp was liberated. Wow. That's horrible. Yeah. And, um, but after, you know, Bergen-Belsen was one of the places where it became a DP camp for displaced persons and they all, you know, healed there and they got healthier and and they all eventually came to New York. And I'm always interested in in how people handle situations differently. Did they take a very different path on on how they handled the aftermath of this or did they both kind of just stick together and do the same thing or how did that go down? Uh, Good question. So my grandfather, you know, married my grandmother who he met in Bergen-Belsen. My aunt 
also married a survivor. A lot of survivors married other survivors. Okay. Um, they had that shared history and the homeland family and just, you know, the, a lot of them married quickly after the war as well. Um, sure. My aunt spoke a lot about it. She would tell stories and she she was this beautiful, vivacious woman who just would tell, write poetry and talk about it. Um, her husband, I don't think he spoke about it as much. And my grandfather never really talked about it. Um, my mom remembers hearing, you know, my grandparents had a lot of friends who are also survivors in New York and they would get together and they would talk about, uh, things. And my mom would hear little bits and she remembers being a young girl and they wanted to send her to camp. And all she had heard about were the concentration camps. <laughs> oh, no. and she thought camp was a bad thing, but, um, but uh, yeah, my, yeah, my grandfather didn't talk about it much at all. When the book came out, my mom and my uncles told me they had no idea about some of these stories. Wow. I mean, that must be great for your family even just to be able to, to learn about the history. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I wrote this book just not planning on selling it just to give copies to the family. And uh, it's, you know, I've sold 30,000 copies around the world so far. So, Yeah, which is amazing. Was, was your grandfather uh, initially against putting it out to the public? I know. Oh, my God. He was my little PR guy. Um, he was, <laughs> you know, there, I talk about the fire at the beginning where he set the family business on fire because they were really having a lot of problems because one uncle was stealing money. And at first he said, I had to take that story out of the book. He thought he might be arrested, you know, 75 years later. <laughs> right. But, Central um, limitations. That, yeah. So, um, and now that he's gone, he's safe. So, uh, that was the only thing, but you know, he was, he, when he passed away, he was 94 and the book came out five years ago. So he would go and tell everybody he knew, he would say, do you have internet? He barely knew what internet was. And he would say, <laughs> go get my book on Amazon. And, uh, you know, we would speak, we spoke together a number of times at schools and, um, some other events. And, you know, he just was so proud. That's great. So, how long did it take to, you know, how long of you guys sitting together talking about this? Did it take to make the book? Um, well, I started when I was, you know, in college and then when it came out, it was 18 years later. Um, but I didn't work on it all the time. It was kind of just, we maybe talk about it a couple times a year. Um, and then, you know, it's just, I, there's this, a word in Jewish that says, Bashir, something's meant to be. Hmm. And it was before nine 11, I had an interest from publisher. And then after nine 11, everything kind of changed. Sure. And then when it was really, my grandfather got cancer in 88, 89. And he said, finish the book already. Cause now <laughs> of course it was a book. And so it now was the time of this print on demand and do it yourself. And, um, I happened to mention it during the video of, of that tiny apartment I used to live in. And because of that video, it helped really sell these books. And I've gotten emails from people around the world and Australia and Germany, China, all these places just emailing me and just thanking me for writing this book. Yeah, I love at, at the end of the book, you put uh, some of the letters that the kids wrote you from the schools you and your grandfather spoke at, you know, just thanking for, for his story and, and his amazing sharing and all that. It was, it was really nice to read those letters from the kids. Yeah, I mean, I have hundreds of letters and my grandfather would just sit and read them. Uh, he just, he felt so good. I mean, I think for him, it really validated his survival um, and his life. Yeah. Um, you know, when you guys were, were talking about, you know, when you guys were going over stories and, and writing things down, um, other than the obvious, the story that he was telling you, what lessons did he teach you? Oh, God. Um, so, you know, there were moments when we would be working together 
and he would just, his eyes would kind of glaze over and he would be lost. He would be back there in that time having to serve, to relive it again. And for many survivors to talk about it, they just couldn't do it because it was almost as painful. So like my grandmother, some committed suicide, but my grandfather was so strong. Mm-hmm. And, and you would realize that, you know, you think you're having a bad day, but you can get through anything. I mean, look what this, this man and millions of others survived and were able to do that, you know, the human spirit, it's just, and the will, you can just do it. And he just never gave up. And he came to this country with, you know, no money, no language. And he, he, you know, he died and he had just saved a lot of money and was able to pay for his kids to buy, to get education and help them with their homes. And all he cared about was his family. And so really, that's really what I care about. I mean, I don't need closets full of clothes and a huge house. You know, it's for me, it's family. Yeah. After, you know, it kind of leads a question about your previous book, 90 Lessons for Living Large in, a 90, in 90 Square Feet or More. Um, you know, after going through stuff like this, did he, did your grandfather have a large attachment to possessions? Uh, not really. Um not really at all. I mean, he would, <laughs> in the last couple of years, he would shuffle around his, his condo in Florida with his walker and he would look around and he says, look at my empire. And it didn't have that much <laughs> stuff in it, but it was just, it was, you know, it was really, my grandmother died two years ago. So he, my step grandmother, and he really missed her. And, uh, and he just, they really built a beautiful life together. Um, she had lost her first husband as well. So he really, he was giving stuff away. He just, he didn't care about that stuff. You know, he just wanted to watch CNN or whatever and, and <laughs> watch the ticker and deal with his stocks. And, uh, but it was all really for his family. Reruns of MASH. <laughs> no, I, you know, it's funny. I never, he, you know, we go out and we'll buy a latte or this or that, but he never really treat, bought himself anything. He just was always saving for his children. That's great. What kind of, I mean, the obvious answer here could be oh, he was great. But what kind of man was he? You know, was he was he a, a funny guy? Was he outgoing? You know, um, he you know he was strong and and he was silent. You know, his he spoke English, but he had this accent. Um, he had a lot of opinions. I mean, he was a strong Republican, but he was just so gentle. One thing I always noticed: he had these beautiful eyes, and they always seemed a little sad. And it wasn't until I was older and realized where that sadness had come from, but mm-hmm. he was just generous to a fault. And, uh, you know, we'd be driving around Florida and there would be somebody begging at a light and he would just hand me a dollar and he'd say, roll down the window and give it to them. He just, he just had a big heart and, and really that's, he was very generous. Wow. In many ways. Yeah. Yeah. Did he ever go back to Poland or any of the camps that he was in? He did with, um, my step grandmother and an aunt and my mom, um, in the mid eighties, they went back to, to kind of look at things and to see, um, I, when I went in, um, 1990 and, and 2008, he really didn't want me to go. He was afraid it would be, there'd be too much anti-Semitism. but he had gone back and it was hard for him. Yeah. I I would imagine. Um, when he came over here after, you know, being liberated, what, what did he do with his life? You know, what kind of job does somebody with no language get? Well, his family owned a lumberyard business, and he had started working there as a young boy. So one thing he could do well was work, and um, he worked in a couple different factories, and he 
just kept doing this. And, and he had a daughter at that point. And then another son came and he was just, he and my grandmother both worked and they just didn't feel like they were getting anywhere. And he said it was time that they got their own business. And he knew his parents, he had watched them run their business. And that was when he bought his first grocery store. You know, they had saved money and, um, and he learned knowing, you know, knowing how to run a business, he would go to people and deliver milk. He would get up really early and deliver milk to customers, knowing that when they came into the store to pay, they would buy more things. Sure. So at little by little, he would make more money and save and, and he learned, learned to invest in the stock market. Wow. So he, he was actually extremely yeah. smart for, and in the book you mentioned, I think he stopped going to school when he was 13. Yeah. Um, but it sounds extremely smart for someone who stopped going to school at 13. Yeah, he was worldly educated for sure. Yeah. Um, learning what you did, you know, relating some of what he went or a lot of what he went through to kind of today's pop culture, learning what you did from your grandfather, you know, what are your thoughts on some of the things that are going on now with, you know, Donald Trump and the presidential election? Oh, it's it's scary. I think our country's in for I know everybody wants change. Um Sure. I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I, Hamilton is the new big musical here in New York City, and I, and I read the book. It's about 900 pages, and it's about Alexander Hamilton, but also about our country and the American Revolution and becoming a country. And I just think about what, you know, our forefathers went through to build this nation. And now it seems like what we're talking about are ridiculous topics. Um, you know, I, I want people to talk about, let's focus on why we have all these homeless people and let's help them. And mm -hmm. let's get, you know, everybody should get healthcare at least to be able to afford it or get it or whatever. I just, um, you know, I, you know, our own backyard and I see in the city here, it's, it's getting bad. I was just in San Francisco and it's, it's scary. You know, I, I think we need to help ourselves. I mean, I like that Trump says he wants to build jobs, but you know, all of them say a lot of things. It's hard to believe. I, I feel like I want this country. We're so divided between Democrats and Republicans. We're all Americans, and I want us to work together. I don't to get something done. Yeah, I mean that something you said was a couple things you said really ring home. First of all, I, I'm in San Francisco all the time for work, and uh, the homeless situation up there is horrendous, and, and it's only getting worse. Um, but the thing you said is, you know, we're all Americans, and we're so divided. You're right. People need to look at us less as Republican, Democrat, and Trump and Hillary and Bernie or whatever, and, and more as as America. Um, yeah. But that's just my own opinion. Um, but a lot of people are comparing a lot of Trump's, and I don't mean to make this totally political thing, but a lot of Trump's, uh, you know, speeches and campaign tactics. They're comparing him to early Adolf Hitler before he came into power on his rise. Uh, do you see a lot of similarities? Um, you know, I think that's a slippery slope. I think, you know, in the time then people were just, I, they were still reeling from the first world war. And I think everybody was just looking for something to hold on to. And here was somebody who just came and said everything they wanted to hear. Um, I think Trump is rallying a lot of people. Um, mm -hmm. he's saying things we want to hear and who doesn't want to hear? Yes. We want to make America great again. And we want a lot of jobs. Sure. Um, I just want someone who, who's going to do it. And I, I don't know. I, I have no idea who to vote for Democrat, Republican, anybody. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just want, you know, I don't know. Yeah. The most normal people good. we can find, please. Um, okay. Yeah. Going, going back to your grandfather, what are, you know, he obviously dealt with huge loss what is something you learned from him or some ways you've learned from him to, to cope with such big loss in your life? 
Um, well, it's funny because in December, the, a week after my grandfather died, one of my uncles died. He got leukemia. It was really kind of crazy. And, wow. uh, you know, I, I don't, I mean, it, you don't know how you're going to deal with kind of a catastrophic loss like that. I mean, your entire family murdered and cousins and uncles and, you know, I mean, life goes on and we have to kind of just deal with that day by day. And yes, we're all going to die. I don't think, I mean, we know that, but I don't think we really live like that. And I think we need to just appreciate every day and remember our families and in any ways we can, whether it's um, things that they did or said and to talk about them. And that's really why this book has been so helpful for the family because we talk about the other family and, um, not not to forget them and not to forget that this happened once in our history because as soon as you forget things start to repeat themselves so um i don't know if that really answers about loss but just to appreciate life that's what my grandfather really always wanted if he was here today and and you asked him how would you summarize this book what do you think he would say uh i think you know we've talked about it and it's about hope um you know, as, as tough as some of the parts in this book are to read, he survived. And people, you know, school children and other people we, we'd speak to, they would say, do you still believe in God? And he would say, look, I survived. God was watching me. So he always kind of had this positive outlook on life. And it's really try to what I try to emulate as well. Um, because, you know, we don't know how long we're here and we should just enjoy whatever time we have. Yeah, I like it. Uh, once again, that book, What Papa Told Me, that one is available on Amazon. Go check it out. You can also go to FeliceCohen.com. And if you need any links, if you forget anything, just go to IWantToKnowShow.com. All the links will be there on how to get the book. Like I said at the top of the show, it's it's very um, – it, it's not nice because none of this is nice. But it's nice having that personal connection to what happened because you can read in the history books, oh, this happened, this happened. But until you hear someone's story, it's – it doesn't really come to life, and this kind of brings it to life. And it's definitely a tearjerker. It's going to get a little dusty when you start reading. So do check out the book. Um, and and please thank you for coming on for round two and for two very different uh, different topics. My pleasure. Thanks, Greg, for having me. Yeah, thank you so much. Once again, FleeceCohen.com, IWantToKnowShow.com, if you forget anything, and it'll all be right there. Thank you once again to Felice Cohen for coming back and talking about such a powerful story with us. You know, I, I said it during the show a couple of times. It's such a powerful read. I recommend this to everybody. Go check it out. You can get it on Amazon. I have all the links you need at IWantToKnowShow.com. Just click on Guests, and I have links to not only the book on Amazon, but as well as to Felice Cohen, her website, her Twitter, her Facebook, everything you need to do to get in touch with her. If you liked the interview, or if you like her book, or if you like her other book, 90 Lessons for Living Large in 90 Square Feet or More, let her know. I'm sure she would love to hear some feedback. And hey, you can let me know too. I want to know your thoughts on the book. Anyways, in the meantime, check the show out at IWantToKnowShow.com. Follow on Facebook, I Want to Know Show. On Twitter, at I Want to Know Show. And you can send an email, I Want to Know Pod at gmail.com. Thanks to you guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. And on that note, good night, everybody. Good night, everybody.